no matter what rank you are, you have a brain and you use it. So even if you're given an order, you have that right to question it and have, the, have that order justified. And if it can't be justified, you have that right to say, no, I'm not going to follow that order. That was like, that's a distinctly Canadian Armed Forces thing. And that got wiped out with COVID. I am a husband, a father, a lawyer, a Christian, and a proud Canadian. I started this series because it was clear that our nation needs truth. Not just another biased narrative, but real information of substance. We need access to facts and the freedom to think for ourselves. I'm Leighton Gray, and this is Gray Matter. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Gray Matter. Well, today to start off with, I want to talk to you a little bit about lawyers. You know, there's never been a time in my life when I didn't feel privileged to be a lawyer or, or proud of that. It is a, a, you know, a profession of great distinction and great history. And anyone who is a lawyer should understand that they are in a privileged position in society. Having said that, I haven't always been proud of lawyers. And this has never been more true over the past few years. It's important to remember that all of the terrible lockdown orders that we faced all over the world were written by lawyers. All of the censorship laws that we're facing today in Canada were written by lawyers. The vaccine mandates that we're going to talk about today with our guest were written by lawyers. Union policies that discriminate against workers, all written by lawyers. I faced many lawyers in the courts over the past three years who, who have, uh, in fact, tried to prosecute people uh, for standing up for their rights and freedoms. Lawyers kept Tamara Leach in jail. They're prosecuting her right now. So uh, there are many, many reasons to, to, to suspect and to fear that the lawyers in our country are not living up to their professional duty, at least not in the way that I see it. Now, thankfully, there are exceptions. And the lady who's with us today is one of them. Uh, she, I would put her in the same category as our good friend James Kitchen or people like Sean Buckley who are out there uh, presenting the National Citizens Inquiry. And I'll include all the lawyers who are assisting with the National Citizens Inquiry and all the lawyers who are fighting on behalf of Canadians, real Canadians. Uh, and the lady we have on today, I would put squarely within that category. Her name is Catherine Christensen. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Thanks for having me. Okay, so uh, I think people are going to be really, really interested and intrigued by Catherine and what she's doing. Um, now, she is a lawyer based in St. Albert, uh, but she's developed a very unique law practice, and we're going to talk about that and the people she's helping. But before we go there, as we always do, we're going to frame our discussion with our aphorisms. Uh, the first one is uh, from somebody who um, is probably not well known unless you're uh, an historian. His name is Joseph de Maastre. He famously wrote, every nation has the government it deserves. And uh, this famous comment, it's worth noting, was in a letter written in 1811. Ironically, he was advocating for royal monarchies as the best form of government and not democracy. The next one is from our prime minister, who sadly is very quotable, uh, but is hardly consistent in the things that he says or writes. Uh, he, he said this, my idea of freedom is that we should protect the rights of people to believe what their conscience dictates, but fight equally hard to protect people 
from having the beliefs of others imposed upon them. Would that he meant that. Now, having said that, uh, by way of segue, um, the Prime Minister and his government, their approach to uh, certain members of our society, important members of our society, specifically the Canadian military, are really the focus of our conversation. So, Catherine, I wonder if we could start off with uh, maybe having you tell us about how you came up with this ingenious idea, this valor law, where you would focus your practice on helping uh, members of our military. Well, uh, I didn't come to law as a young woman. I was actually a registered nurse uh, for over two decades and ended up hurt during an emergency situation and uh, had to pick a new career. So uh, I, I could tell you that every once in a while somebody wins against WCB because I convinced them to pay for law school. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> My own first client, basically. Uh, and while I was in law school, I, I entered law school thinking I would do medical malpractice or something along that line, because that's where, what I knew. Uh, but I came across a military law class uh, offered by the University of Alberta here. And it was taught by two JAG officers. One was a Cold War era JAG officer, and the other was still active duty and had served in Afghanistan at the time with special forces. So I uh, took military law with them. They came to me and said, you need to do something related to the military. Uh, you understand it very well for a civilian. Um, and uh, you've got, you know, you've got what it takes to do something. Well, I certainly wasn't going to be able to go into JAG uh, because I'd wrecked my back in this uh, emergency. So then I got thinking, well, wait a minute. The military lifestyle is not an ordinary one. And uh, on top of the lifestyle they have, they also answer to two separate sets of laws at the same time in Canada. So I thought, wait a minute, they need somebody that can be that voice, that bridge between the civilian and the, the military world. So then I started uh, looking into it. I started volunteering for military groups, uh, such as uh, the Valor Place, which offers housing to military and veterans who are undergoing medical treatments that need somewhere to stay. And uh, then ended up articling with a retired light colonel. And uh, his wife also uh, had become a lawyer after she'd left the military and uh, said, well, I'm going to open my practice and I'm only going to represent military and veterans. And I was told I was crazy. <laughs> uh, that there was no need for it, that they didn't, there wasn't anything unique about, about military members or veterans, and that uh, I wouldn't have any business, that I would, that there's, uh, there's no way I would survive. Why were, were they wrong? Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> so I was called to the bar and I hung my own shingle immediately, um, which I'm told you're not, the law society wasn't too happy. They were like, no, 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 you need to work with it. No, no, I'm going to do it on my own. Um, the fact that I wasn't uh, 25 made me a little stubborn, I think. <laughs> and uh, as I was setting up my office, my phone was already ringing off the hook. Uh, I'm not surprised. Yeah. And these, these people in this group don't trust very easily. Mm -hmm. They've had their trust abused for a long time. Yeah. So I was honored that they would trust me and basically word of mouth. I haven't marketed my law firm since the first maybe six to nine months I did some advertising. 
after that, it was word of mouth. One person who did stand up was a member of the military. I wanted to ask you about this is um, uh, Reverend Major Harold Ristow, who serves mm-hmm. as a chaplain uh, with Canadian Air Forces uh, for 11 years. And um, he echoed some of the concerns that you expressed recently when you testified at the National Citizens Inquiry. I'm going to talk, I'm going to ask you about that. But he said this, he says, uh, it's seriously dangerous to force soldiers to ignore their convictions from both a spiritual and psychological perspective. He said that to True North News in a recent interview um, from Kenya, where he's moved to work as a missionary. Would you would you share his concerns about that? Absolutely. So now uh, what the Canadian Armed Forces has said as a precedent is you follow orders and you don't question them. Right. And the Canadian Armed Forces were well-known, well-respected throughout the world for having what they called a strategic corporal. And that is no matter what rank you are, you have a brain and you use it. So even if you're given an order, you have that right to question it and have the, have that order justified. And if it can't be justified, you have that right to say, no, I'm not going to follow that order. That was like, that's a distinctly Canadian Armed Forces thing. And that got wiped out with COVID, in my opinion, because right. they were told you have to. And the chaplains, the chaplains were the ones that tried the hardest to stand up for members. And they got hit hard. Uh, the ones that said, you know, they have, they should be accommodated. Their, their religious convictions are sincere. Uh, and and they're not suddenly religious like two days ago. This is long-standing beliefs. And those chaplains were uh, not treated very well. The, the, the plight of the military members, as bad as it has been for civilian Canadians, the plight of the military is even worse, isn't it? Now, we heard, we've heard the Prime Minister recently say publicly, you know, I didn't force anyone to get vaccinated. Of course, the, the internet, yeah. thankfully we have the internet. Yeah. Um, but on a very, very strict sense of the word, uh, of the definition of force, mm-hmm. and as you know, as a lawyer, the, the, the concept of legal force is much broader than the way that the Prime Minister is using it. Mm. Um, yes. But for the military, they really were forced, weren't they? They that this was imposed mm-hmm. upon them uh, as a dictate, and and really they they were almost used as uh, I hate to say this and uh, describe human beings this way, but they were almost used as as human guinea pigs. They were absolutely, and they were used as human guinea pigs with Moderna, even after Moderna was determined to not be a good choice, um, wow. and we had one CDS, General Vance, would not bring in a mandate uh, because he uh, it was is, uh, noted as saying, what if this was well, there's something wrong with this and it wipes out my entire military? You're not using my people as, as guinea pigs, basically. Uh, and shortly thereafter, he was removed <laughs> from command. Um, right, so, very uh, famously, right. Yeah, yeah. So it, it it boggles my mind that they would put a political agenda to make the armed forces the number one example uh, to the Canadian population by having a 100% vaccination rate, come hell or high water. Uh, they very much risked uh, jeopardizing Canada's national security. I mean, one of our hardest hit units is JTF2, which is our special forces guys. Right. I've talked to several of them um, and they were uh, injured. They, in fact, more have reached out since my NCI appearance. 
uh, we've they were even injured in the field because they were vaccinated in the field. And uh, when we're talking about special forces soldiers being injured in the field, we're talking about a small unit of six men having to get someone injured out of the field into a hospital right. from the middle of nowhere. And this is maybe where, where we get into your lawsuit that you've, that you've started on behalf of some military members. Mm -hmm. We're seeing the politicization of our military. Uh, that that uh, you know the prime minister's office and his cabinet are sort of seeing the armed forces as sort of fingers on on the hand as though mm -hmm. uh, just another ministry. Yes, and that's that's not really true, and it's highly problematic in terms of the treatment of our military members. And hence, uh, you started this lawsuit on behalf of four members of the armed forces uh, in court to challenge this vaccine order. So you want right. to start off there and just tell us how that all came about and and maybe uh, elaborate into a fuller discussion of how the suit is going, because I'm sure people watching this are going to be very, very interested to know about it. Right. So uh, as because I had this reputation within the military community in October of 2021, when the first directive came down from the chief of defense staff that uh, it was going to be mandatory vaccination, uh, I had... Uh, some people reach out to me and ask what they could do uh, legally uh, against it. And uh, I had, I am not a constitutional law lawyer, or I wasn't, I guess I am now. None of, none <laughs> of us were three years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I, when I was first contacted by a few of them, I, my thought was, well, I don't think we can do much about it. Uh, and I was prepared to tell them that there was a Zoom meeting set up. And before I knew it, the Zoom meeting was, you know, over 400 people. Then they started to tell me their stories. I was hearing about uh, women being locked in a room with four men until they'd signed that they wouldn't take a, a lawful order. Uh, pregnant women who were being treated horribly. Um, even ones who had already been vaccine injured, getting pressured to get the second dose. Uh, yeah, that the stories just started to pour in. And uh, the one of the most horrific stories was some poor kid was being left outside in the wintertime for three months, uh, which, and if he had been a prisoner of war, his commanding officer would be charged with a war crime for torture. Wow. So these types of stories were coming in. I was like, okay, I can't, I can't let this go. <laughs> I need to uh, get brushed up on my my law, my constitutional law and my military law real fast because of my knowledge of, of the forces. And I've been watching them for a while. Uh, and I'd read some articles by some scholars after the sexual abuse stuff was really being discussed right. that there was actually an abuse of power going on within the Canadian Armed Forces. Mm -hmm. So uh, my approach is that uh, the mandate is actually a perfect example of how they abuse their power in the chain of command. And uh, certainly the chief of defense staff thinks he's untouchable. So I thought, okay, so I am bringing a mass tort of three of 358 people. Uh, it's going to be dropping here very, very shortly. But, you know, Catherine, it sounds like this lawsuit uh, is going to have a lot of zeros on it, and it, and it mm -hmm. should. But yeah. uh, we should emphasize that's not really the reason why your clients are suing this. They're they're really suing as a last resort because they couldn't get justice any other way. And um, when I listen to you uh, 
uh, talk and and when you testified at the National Citizens Inquiry earlier this month. By the way, folks, you can go watch her testimony. Uh, you can see it in its entirety there. It's brilliant. Uh, but you said you talked about uh, there were some some shocking numbers about mm -hmm. the 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 sheer statistics of how many people in the military have been harmed by the vaccines or had left the military because they wouldn't take the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And you said that really those were the best people in the military. Mm -hmm. That the result, the end result is that we probably don't have a functioning force that could defend our borders right now. Yeah. Is, that, is that a absolutely. fair assessment of that? Do you want to I talk about some of those numbers? I'm sure people would be just shocked to hear this. Right. So the Canadian Armed Forces ideally should have about 98,000 people capable of, of fighting a war. I mean, that's, let's be honest. That's what our armed forces are for, even though the Department, the Minister of National Defense made a big speech about uh, something very different than what the Canadian Armed Forces are actually for. Yeah. I so dare say she's never been to war. Uh, she got roasted on Twitter really bad. <laughs> uh, so uh, anyway, she, uh, we should have 98,000. Most times in the past uh, years before COVID, we were hovering around 65 to 70,000. So right. already we're already under undermanned. We all know we're undergunned and under-equipped uh, before this. So we get to those numbers, then COVID comes along and the mandate comes in and we lose three to 5,000 people. And we don't lose people that would be leaving anyway, people that are unfit to fight. We lose our, some of our top people. Uh, we're down to about 40,000 people right now. Wow. We should have close to 100. 40% of what we really need. So we've, we've talked about this uh, politicization of the military. Um, Catherine, uh, besides the whole uh, vaccine piece, mm -hmm. um, have we also lost military people because of the the sort of woke agenda that's in, that's been imposed upon the military as well. For example, I'm thinking mm -hmm. of the transgender uh, agenda that's been imposed on on the military. Have we lost the good people there mm -hmm. as well. Yes, the the woke agenda uh, has very much damaged uh, the military. That was also, already also created by lawyers, folks. I should say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that was already starting to be a problem before the whole COVID thing hit. Um, and it's continuing to be a problem because the, what we've got is people that check boxes instead of people who can do the job. Right. And I, I don't care about someone's proclivities in the bedroom. I don't want to know, <laughs> Right. but can they do the job? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't have a problem with the woman being in special forces, but can she carry a 250 pound man with his full kit 10 miles over a mountain? Cause that's what they have to do. If she can, all the power to her, you know, uh, there's men that can't do that task, but uh, I've always had that position that if, can you do the job? Right. I don't care what, what sex you are, what gender you are, all of that stuff. Can you do it? For people in the military, this, this uh, concept of loyalty is a mm -hmm. very, very deep conviction Mm -hmm. And uh, the overwhelming sense that uh, I've noticed with Canadian workers, is, and I, I testified about this, is a sense of betrayal. Mm -hmm. This must be even worse for military members. I I, rem I recall from your video, um, uh, I'm not sure if it was a brigadier general who was basically vilifying uh, members 
and almost threatening uh, military members. That that must be really demoralizing for members uh, of the Canadian Armed Forces. Yeah, and that was General Eyre, actually, uh, the, that was shown. Uh, that's the guy at the top these days who's a, not, his, he's made no secret of being a liberal. He did as a junior officer. So uh, his position is, his appointment was very political. But there's a, within the chain of command, there's a trust. There has to be a trust in your chain of command that if they give you an order, there's a reason for it. You're willing to put your life on the line to follow that order. And uh, you have that has to be there. And that is gone in the Canadian Armed Forces. People don't trust the chain of command. So they, they don't have their back. So they don't have their back. Uh, that's and that's a tragedy because how can a military we, force function without that it can't function uh, that's you know that's the issue not only are we vastly undermanned but we have people in uniform that are like well we saw what you did and so why should i be loyal to you because i am i next if i step my foot wrong and the chief of defense staff said they were morally weak oh I mean, that devastating to these people who have, you know, some of them have 20, 30, 35 years of loyal service with not a single blemish on their record. They've never been in trouble in 35 years. Yeah, to be told, well, you're morally weak and you're not suitable to serve in, in your uniform anymore. Devastating. But I wanted to ask you in the context of the National Citizens Inquiry, when you got the call to do that, you obviously did not hesitate, but why did you think it was so important to add your testimony to that historical record of the National Citizens Inquiry? Well, I happened to have caught some of the uh, Trucker Convoy Commission, and right as it, I was not, uh, I was signing out of it, Preston Manning came on and said that he was going to set up this inquiry. Right. And I bookmarked that <laughs> that YouTube video and I was watching because I was like, I believe in this. I think it's a fantastic idea. Um, and I also provided a platform for my clients yes. because if you are in uniform, you are gagged. You are not allowed to criticize the forces. You're not allowed to criticize the government. And that made all of that was happening completely silenced they made them perfect group to exploit because they were silenced but i'm not in the chain of command i can talk for them i can say what i need to say for my clients um and i thought okay here's a national platform and uh let's let the world let's let the world know what they were what our chief of defense staff is doing to his own people mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, it was a great opportunity. Uh, I'm very pleased with how it turned out. Uh, <laughs> I was, and I was flattered by uh, the standing ovation behind the cameras uh, when I was done and the outpouring of people that have reached out to me um, to thank me for doing it. And I, I didn't do it for my own gratification. I did it because I wanted to give a voice to people who up until now have been silenced. I mentioned to you off the top, uh, Catherine, before we got into this, that we'd have something called a reading list. And here we are. Here we are. <laughs> we're, we're talking. So um, the book that I've chosen is one that's probably familiar to you. 
um, and to many of the people you represent. Um, it's by a uh, historian uh, named uh, J.L. Granitstein. This book was written about 20 years ago. It's called Who Killed the Canadian Military? It's a 2004 uh, nonfiction book. Granitstein is a Canadian historian and military veteran himself. And this book examines and critiques the dilapidated state of the Canadian military. And bear in mind, this is this is going back to the late 90s, his research. Uh, it sounds as though things have only gotten worse since then. Uh, the second book is by um, a man named uh, Richard uh, Lyons, who's uh, an American poet. And uh, this is called But by the Chance of War. And here, uh, Mr. Lyons brings his creative talents to an exploration of some of the most vexing and profound questions about war in this imaginative series of epic poems. So, Catherine, throwing over to you, last word on our reading list today. Do you mm -hmm. have a suggestion or two for the people taking in uh, this episode of Grey Matter? Uh, well, I have one that's, uh, I think, is well written and it actually gives you a glimpse into the day in the life of a soldier in a war zone. And uh, I think it is necessary for people to understand what exactly uh, people sign up for and how they are happy to ex happy to do it. So Christy Blatchford spent 15 days with uh, some of the Patricias in Afghanistan. Mm. She was embedded with them and then she wrote a book on it. And I think everyone should read that, especially to honor our Afghanistan vets to really understand what it's like to have been in that that war zone. The other one I started, I read this one back in law school and I still love it. And it's called Kill All the Judges. <laughs> <laughs> and it's written by a Canadian author. And it really struck me because this lawyer loses his mind in court one day and runs down uh, the street in Vancouver in his robes. <laughs> so uh, that's I've a had, good- I've had dreams like that. I've had nightmares <laughs> like that. Yeah, I don't know if I should say that when I'm bringing a mass tort into federal court uh, that I'm that that's a book I recommend, but I did enjoy it. So uh, that's a, a good one. Thank you uh, for those selections and also for being with us today. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, uh, thank you for your service to the Canadian military, uh, for being an advocate, for being a champion for them. Uh, I think this is so necessary. And I think that uh, you really are an example to other other members of the profession and and i pray that that other members of our profession would follow your example and be of support to people who are being harmed in this country by oppressive government measures um not just the military but all but there's people from all walks of life in our country who are being harmed and uh, we don't have enough lawyers like you to fight the the good fight so Sincerely, thank you for doing that. And uh, thank you for being our special guest here today on Gray Matter. And best of luck with that lawsuit. I, I would really like you to come back sometime in the future and update it as, uh, as to its progress. Mm -hmm. I, I'd be happy to do that. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's my biggest honor to uh, be trusted to stand for the people. Well, Godspeed, Casper. Thanks again for being with us today. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you.